0: So there was this guy, and he was on an airplane, and he was sitting next to a talking duck. And as they're sitting there together, the stewardess comes up and says, May I help you? And the guy says, Yes, uh, ma'am, I would like a cup of coffee, very politely. I'd like a cup of coffee. And then the duck says, Give me a beer, you fat pig. Well, the stewardess, she's so freaked out about this, she goes back and quickly gets the beer for the duck, but she forgets to get the coffee for the man. She's so flustered. So she brings the beer to the duck, and the man says, uh, Man, the man says, Man, you must, must have forgotten, you know, my, my coffee. Would you please still remember my coffee? And then the duck chimes in and says, And give me another beer, you fat cow. And so she again goes back, and she's like so flustered, she gets the beer but forgets the coffee. So she brings the duck the beer and again forgets the coffee. And this time the man is like, I guess the only way I'm going to get my coffee is if I'm as rude as this duck. So when she comes back, he says, says, ma'am, you forgot my coffee. You ugly dog, get me my coffee. Well, this time she's heard enough. So this stewardess just grabs the man and grabs the duck. She goes to the emergency door. She kicks it open and throws them both out. As they're both flying through the air, the duck says to the man, you have a pretty loud mouth for someone who can't fly. So you ever regret something that you've said and paid a price for it? I've thought about that today. I thought about all the things that people have said about God and said to God that they're going to regret so, so much one day. God's word is true. God is real. And every word he said, every promise he made will come true. Every prophecy will be fulfilled exactly as it has been stated. I want to talk a little bit about that for a moment. Do you know that when the Bible was written, 27 percent of it was prophetic at its writing, at the time of its writing? 27 percent of the Bible was prophetic. Do you know that there are 1,817 Prophecies of some nature in the Bible, at the time the authors wrote them. A prophecy is simply a pre-written history. Say so only God knows the future, and the reason God knows the future is because God has foreordained the future, and He records for us in Scripture what is going to happen. in many times in in many ways, we read so many prophecies regarding even individuals. Do you know that Cyrus of Persia, a hundred years before he was alive and took the throne that he's named in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1? I mean, how would you like to predict it? next the president of the United States a hundred years from now? What's your chances of being able to do that? Zero impossible but here the bible gives us the name and the country of this ruler in fact he gives us the names of countries that are going to come to pass like he he talks about the countries that we've been studying babylon and what country follows babylon you know we have the the persian empire then the greek empire and so forth and all these are named and pointed out for us before they happen how about just the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Just those prophecies alone. Let me mention some of them. He would be born of a virgin, called Emmanuel, born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come to adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner. He would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He'd be a prophet like Moses, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be entering into his public ministry in Galilee. He would be entering his public ministry publicly into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and then go to the temple. He would live in poverty and meekness and tenderness and compassion. He would be without deceit. He would be full of zeal, preaching with parables, working miracles, bearing reproach. He would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. The Jews and the Gentiles would actually come together and cooperate against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. His disciples would forsake him. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a potter's fill. He would die with intense suffering, yet be silent under that suffering. He would be struck on the cheek. His face would be marred. He would be spit upon and scarred. His hands and his feet would be nailed to the cross. He'd be forsaken by God. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be mocked. Gall and vinegar would be offered to him. His garments would be parted. Lots would be cast for his clothing. He'd be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. He would die, but not a bone in his body would be broken. He'd be pierced long before crucifixion was even invented. He would be buried with the rich. His flesh would not see corruption. He'd be raised from the dead. He would ascend back to the right hand of God the Father. All these prophecies and many more are recorded for us hundreds of years before Jesus Christ comes into the world. And many of these prophecies, by the way, are fulfilled not by his friends but by his enemies, those who stand to lose the most with their fulfillment. And many of these prophecies are way outside of his control. Some of them happen while he's, before he's even born. They happen while he's in his mother's womb. They happen while he's in the grave. You know, one of the great verifications of the authenticity of the Bible is this element of fulfilled prophecy over and over and over. It is obviously a supernatural Book. It is the word of God. Everything that God says is going to come to pass has come to pass exactly as he said it would, exactly. And what he said is going to come to pass, it has not yet come to pass, will come to pass exactly as he said. Because he is the all-seeing, all-powerful, omnipotent God who has predetermined these things to happen. I mean, think about that. How much control do you have to have to give seven and a half billion people free will and still accomplish your purposes? And that's precisely what we see in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel that we're going to look at today. Now, the prophet Daniel, as you remember, was a prophet of God during the time of Judah's captivity. And during that time, all of the time that Judah was taken into captivity, they believed, they still believed that God had a special purpose for them as a people, as a nation. And in the midst of all that was going on in this time of purging and discipline of the Lord, they still had this confidence that God had a future for them, but with their city in shambles, a temple being destroyed, the walls of the city broken down, taken into captivity, their confidence in their future was starting to uh, really become shaken. And they started to wonder, has God forsaken us? Has he given up on us as a people? And it was during that time, that time of the 70-year purging that was going on as the, as Judah was in captive in Babylon, that God gave a revelation to Daniel, a revelation that would be encouraging to the people that they, the people of God, the, the Jewish people, still had, God still had a future for them. He had not forsaken them. He had not cast them aside. And so we see that God has given Daniel vision after vision of this future, this for sure future, for the people, for the Jewish people. We saw that last week in Daniel chapter 2, and if you missed that message, I encourage you to go online to gracearlington.com and, and catch up with us. It's a really important message. Daniel 2 is really important for us to understand what's said there. But today we're going to see that in Daniel chapter 7. And he actually, again, in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11 and 12, we see that God is saying over and over again that I'm not through with you as a people. He's saying this to the Jewish people. In fact, I have a glorious future for you. There's a time coming, God is saying to them, when the world's going to run its course, when all the kings of the world are finally going to come to an end, a Messiah is going to come. And he's going to come and establish his kingdom on the earth. And there's going to be a powerful, glorious empire beyond your wildest imagination. You need to know that that that's your future. That's That's what Daniel is telling the people of Judah that are in captivity. Now, what's interesting about Daniel chapter 7 is there's a lot of common denominators between that vision and the vision of Daniel chapter 2, which is why I encourage, if you missed that message, to go back and listen to it because there's a lot of similarities. In fact, the same four kingdoms in history are talked about in Daniel 2 are talked about in Daniel chapter 7. But in both passages, the thrust, the major point of these visions is that there's coming a final kingdom. There's coming a final monarch who's going to establish a glorious kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom unlike any kingdom in history, that anything that history's ever seen or known. This kingdom is going to be the kingdom of the Son of God himself is going to come and set up on the earth. And in Daniel chapter 7, we get a glimpse into the future of three things about this kingdom. The coronation of the king, we get to see it before it happens. We're going to see it today, and it's going to happen just as we read it. The coronation of the Son of God and the Son of Man in the future. And we're also going to see a bit of the... Character, character of this kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom, what it's going to be like. And then, we won't get to this till two weeks from now, we're going to talk about the chronology of the kingdom, when it's going to happen. So really we see the who of the kingdom, we're going to see the coronation of the king of kings, lord of lords. Now we're going to see the what of the kingdom, we're going to see the characteristics of it today. And then in two weeks we'll see the chronology of the kingdom, when is going to happen. So let's start off with this coronation of the king, the who. This is going to be the greatest event of all time in history and eternity. This event that's still coming is going to be the greatest event when the king of kings and lord of lords is is crowned. The coronation of the son of man and the son of God. This coronation is talked about in Daniel 7. We're going to see it, but I want you to know it's talked about and revealed in Psalm 2 and in Psalm 45 and in Psalm 72 and in Psalm 110 and in Zechariah chapter 9 and other passages. The Bible is filled with this coming, this message of this coming king and his coronation. In Daniel 7, we're going to get ushered. We get to get, uh, we're going to get ushered into this future event, which, by the way, we will behold. We will see this event that's yet future in real time. We're going to see, we're going to watch Christ be crowned, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is going to happen just prior to him gathering all of us who know him up and before he comes to earth to establish his kingdom. That's when it's going to happen. And we'll unpack that more in a couple of weeks. So let's go right to the coronation scene. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Thrones were set up. And the ancient of days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and his the hair in his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, his wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire flowed coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads, that's 10,000 times 10,000, that's a million, and that's 100 million, 100 million were standing before him, and the court sat and the books were opened. So now we see in the beginning of the scene, the Ancient of Days takes his seat. Now, the Apostle John saw the same coronation scene. Let's pick it up in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. A throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. This is going to happen, guys. It's really going to happen. And he goes on to talk about the scene John does the angelic hosts that were there. They're crying out, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. This is the scene. Then we get to chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Now, the one sitting on the throne, we know, is God the Father, the Ancient of Days. He has in his hand a scroll, sealed. He's crying out for someone to take the scroll, step up, take possession of the earth. It's like it is the deed of possession of the earth. It's coronation day. Who's going to step up and take the scroll? Chapter 5, verse 5 of Revelation. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is the lamb slain, and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of, right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he takes the scroll, when, when, when Jesus takes the scroll out of his hand, all the music starts. All the music starts. It happens. They sang a new song. The angels began to sing, and the living creatures and the elders, the number of them, of course, is over 100 million of them all singing. Imagine that sound. All singing, a hundred million singing out. They're singing with a loud voice. What are they saying? He tells us what they're going to be singing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And listen to this. And every creature, every creature, every creature, every creature that is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them, all of them I heard saying, Blessing. And honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And they all fell down and worshiped him that lives forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the Apostle John gets a glimpse. He gets a glimpse into the coronation scene of Christ. It's really going to happen exactly, exactly as we just read. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter seven, same scene. Daniel 7, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So into that same scene, we just saw that John saw the ancient of days. Sitting on the throne comes a figure like the Son of Man. We know this is Jesus Christ himself. By the way, do you know that was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself in the Gospels? Was the Son of Man. Why? Every time he said that, he wants you to to understand, I am the one that Daniel spoke about. He wants them to go back to the scriptures they're supposed to know when he calls himself the Son of Man, that he's the Son of Man that Daniel spoke about. He calls himself that many times. In fact, he doesn't refer to himself uh, to anything more to any other title more than the Son of Man because he's tying himself to this prophecy. He's basically saying to, to Israel, if you just understood the book of Daniel, you'd understand who I am. I am him. I'm the Son of Man is going to be brought before the throne in the ancient of days and receive the kingdom forever and ever. In fact, he specifically uses the title Son of Man when he refers to the second coming, his second coming. Have you ever noticed that? Let's just look at a couple passages. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds." Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus is talking about his return in the context. He says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So he called himself the Son of Man, connecting himself to the prophecy of the book of Daniel, that he, in fact, was going to be its fulfillment. This coronation ceremony is going to be so fantastic. Again, Revelation 11 it tells us what's going to happen when he takes the scroll look at this revelation 11 verse 15 and the seventh angel sounded and there rose loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he will reign forever and ever and the 24 elders who sit on the thrones their thrones before god fell on their faces and worshiped god saying we give thanks o lord god the almighty who are and who was, because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign, and the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to your to your bond servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were sounds and and peals of thunder and earthquake and great hailstorm. I mean, guys, this is going to be the ultimate fireworks show. The ultimate, you know, extravaganza of, of singing and praising and shouting and lights and thunder and, and fire and everything is going to be happening at the coronation of Jesus Christ. And it's coming. It's coming. So that is the coronation scene. That's the who. What about the what? The character of the kingdom. What will it be like? What will Christ's kingdom be like? It won't be like all the human kingdoms in history. It'll be unlike those. In fact, there's five things I want to point out about it. The first one is its authority, his authority. Daniel seven fourteen. 14, to a was given dominion. When Christ takes his kingdom, he'll have absolute authority. This kingdom will be a pure dictatorship. There's not going to be any voting. There is no democracy. It's an absolute monarchy, and we're going to be glad about that. Notice Daniel 7, 27, then the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole of heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all, listen to this, and all the dominion will serve and obey him. Everything comes under the authority of Christ. He'll reign absolutely. He reigns supremely. So authority, another word is honor. It'll be, he will have authority, but people will want him to have it. They will, we'll honor him. All, everyone will honor him. It won't be that he just can control us. It'll be, we want to do what he wants. There will be honor. Daniel seven fourteen. 14, and to him was given dominion, glory, honor, and a kingdom. And so, I don't know about you, but I am so sick of Christ not being honored. I am so sick of it when he is dishonored over and over. I mean, I more and more, I connect with what the saints said in the sixth chapter of Revelation under the altar. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you allow your people and your name to be abused? How long can you take this abuse or like David, when he said, the reproaches that fall on you fall on me. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel the reproaches against Christ? Don't you feel it when you watch the news and see the dishonor? Don't you feel it? Or when the apostle Paul says, he bears the marks of Christ, but he longs for his glory. Or John, when he says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, let's, let's wrap this thing up. I mean, it's enough that you've been so dishonored. It's enough that you've been so rejected. It's enough you've been so despised for so long Lord, bring the coronation day where you finally give what you deserve. Another word I want to point out about what the kingdom will be like, the character, is the extent of the kingdom. How far will it extend? Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, they, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. And not received a mark upon their forehead, upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this extent of the kingdom is all the whole earth. But it doesn't stop on the earth. It goes to heaven and earth, Revelation 21. Verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. So after the thousand-year reign, his kingdom extends to all the galaxies and all of heaven. And we will reign with him. Forever. Now the scope of the kingdom, let me just read this real quick. Revelation 22, 4 and 5, I've got to read this. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. That is us. So the scope of the kingdom, the scope is every language, every people, and the duration of the kingdom is forever and ever and ever, and ever, and ever. Let's stand. Let me ask the worship team to come up here. I tell you, with this in light, I want you to keep this in mind for a moment. And I want you to raise your gaze to that scene that's really coming. Raise your gaze. Raise your gaze past all of our little pitiful problems. And I'm not being insensitive to any problem you got right now, but compared to what's coming, it's little. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're wrestling with, compared to what's coming, it's little. So let's raise our gaze. Let's raise our gaze into this scene that's coming and that we are going to participate in this scene. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for opening our eyes to see the glorious truth of Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our Savior. Lord, and we long for the day for this coronation to happen. We long for you to get what you deserve. if for you to be crowned as the King. that day we pray you'd speed up that day lord we pray for the accelerate the fulfillment of the great commission we pray you'd speed up getting your bride ready for this great wedding feast or we pray that you would speed up lord drawing people to yourself from every tongue tribe and nation we ask you oh lord that the finest days of every church on this planet would be before us not behind us and we pray all this in jesus name